Welcome to Explore to Evolve, the travel show to inspire you to make your life the best adventure. I'm your host Vivian Dams, world traveler, digital nomad, best-selling author, and your coach and mentor to live life fully. I'm so excited for you to be here today. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And if you like this episode, please leave a five-star review so that more amazing people just like you can find us. This is episode number 21 with Brooke Yancey. Brooke is an intuitive coach and healer who helps female entrepreneurs overcome burnout and overwhelm and fall back in love with their business or create something new so they can experience freedom, overflowing abundance, create deep soul connections and make an impact that changes lives. She also helps women fall in love with their bodies, connect to their feminine and activate their intuition and magic in their life. She has successfully built three businesses and has impacted over 250,000 people with her work in the dance education and mental health industry. With a degree in psychology, she has 10 years of experience working in dance and mental health and bridging personal development, healing, energy work, dance and yoga with the mainstream. She also supports an organization called Living Positive in Kenya, which helps women with HIV to heal through dance, build businesses and create a life for themselves and their families. I am so excited to hear more about Brooke's projects in Kenya. She's currently in Costa Rica and I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome, Brooke. So excited to be here. You're so welcome. So we were just talking about how you literally just started your fourth business, your coaching business in April last year while there was a whole pandemic going on and it literally skyrocketed and you sold out all of your mastermind spots and your program was going very well. I'm like, wow. Do you want to tell us more about that? How did it just happen? You know, I think a few things were at play for the last five years. I've been running a business called Play Education BC, and we teach dance and yoga programs to in schools all across British Columbia. So I have a whole team of instructors that go into schools now. That was actually my third business. I had a thriving, successful network marketing business before that, and I also traveled the world teaching dance and transforming lives. And so I had a business building workshops and transformational retreats. So throughout the years, I've taken different coaching and healing programs. And I never formally stepped into it as a business. I always just used it in everything else that I was doing. So I think wow. the last 10 years was preparing people in my world mm -hmm. that when I finally said, I'm going to do this and offer this as a service, like there was already people reaching out to me before I even launched my business to ask to work with me as a business coach. Um, I had built a mastermind that I was running over the, like the year prior, more for fun and community and connection. I just really stepped it up and we, you know, I started doing weekly calls and I, I stepped up what I was offering. In April, when COVID hit, my business Play Education BC that was teaching in schools came to quite a standstill. It was on pause because schools closed. We did create or play education, it's it's actually a, um, like a licensed program. So I, I own the license. So play education, Melanie Levenberg, she created an online program so we could offer that to schools. And some schools brought that on, but most schools were just trying to figure out the mm -hmm. pandemic and how to teach online. And they were in a big, 
a bit of a crisis mode rather than bringing an extra dance and art program. So I really took that as a sign because I had been feeling so called to launch my coaching and healing business. I took that as a sign that I was like, okay, if everything is happening for me, then what is this for? And I knew I was already starting to feel called to step into this work. I even had an astrologer say to me that I was about going through a big transition and that I was going to be leading lots of women. Like in my chart, I'm here to help women thrive and I'm here to help women rise into their greatness. And I'm a really strong leader of women. And, and throughout the years in everything I did, I built communities of women through dance, through network marketing, Mm -hmm. through these different platforms. I helped women rise into their greatness And I always was so great at building community when I really got the nudge and when my whole world, like my whole other business just went on standstill, you know, in the first few months we lost $40,000 of sales. Like our business was massively impacted and I was like, I can choose to just sit here and do nothing, but that's not really my nature. Mm -hmm. And I try not to, not that I never, but I try not to subscribe to the victim mentality. And I really was like, and I I had my days and I had my breakdowns and I had my tears and I had my grief. I chose to feel it. And then I was like, okay, so what can I do with this time? And what can I do with this energy? And I really decided to step into my gifts. And the first thing that kind of started percolating was a few people reaching out to me saying, I've seen that you've built businesses before. I have this idea. And there was three conversations in one week where I just saw so clearly what their business could be and how, and they were looking at me being like, oh my gosh, you just nailed it. And how they could create something really spectacular. And I'm like, oh, this is one of my gifts. I decided to step into really putting myself out there. I decided to learn about the online space. I knew nothing really about it. I was a digital nomad in you know, 10 years ago before anyone did anything online, like Instagram wasn't a thing. You know, I Mm -hmm. built my network marketing business when just like with Facebook, but more in person. And so I really set out to learn and to grow. And I started, my first program was called passion to action, bringing your passions and ideas. And I sold out that program in a week. I just started putting it out there and everyone was like, sign me up. I'm in, this is amazing. And I think because they had seen all of the different Like I had embodied that in the past. And then I created a second program called Embodied Radiance. And that was all about connecting to your body, to your heart, to your feminine through movement and dance, which, you know, I've been doing this work in person for 10 years. So it's been cool for me to explore what that looks like online. So I put that out there. And once again, we had, I had a pretty full course as well for that. And I started taking on coaching clients, teaching women how to build businesses of all sorts, mostly passion-based though. I'm all about how can we change lives? You know, Play Education BC now impacts anywhere from 12 to 20,000 kids a year. So it's like, I'm all about massive impact. In my life, I've, I've taught over a quarter of a million people to connect to their bodies through movement and dance. So I have big missions and big goals. Mm -hmm. So when I shifted into the coaching, I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's dive right in. That's how I shifted. And now here I am eight months later, living in Costa Rica and building my business from here and it's thriving. That's incredible. That's such a beautiful story, how it just worked out from day one. (laughs) And I mean, I had my struggles. 
yeah. I had my ups and downs for sure. I had launches that didn't do quite as well. Yeah. And it was a jolt for my nervous system when September <laughs> hit and schools were back in and my other business was back full force. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm running two businesses <laughs> now. That was pretty intense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, it's the name of the game of building a business, right? Is figuring out what works, what doesn't work, what can I do differently, right? Exactly. And Melanie Ann Lair, Mel- Melanie Ann Lair says that all the time: what works, what doesn't work, what can I do differently? So yeah, I feel so grateful to be surrounded by such a ama- such amazing community and around such amazing people in this online space, like you. Thank you. That is incredible. Oh my God. I love your story. So a few years ago, you went to Kenya and you started working or like joining this project. Can you tell us more about living positively and how you actually got into that? Because it's about women that are HIV positive. How did you get into that? Because I imagine if you look at the stereotypes, if you tell someone, oh, I want to help women that are positive, most people would say, oh my God, that's dangerous. Like, why would you get into that? How did you just find that and say, oh God, I want to help these people and I want to be part of this? So it all started when I was in university and I actually used to travel doing volunteer trips with a really Mm -hmm. cool organization. A few of my friends told me about this organization called Living Positive in Kenya. And they said, you're going to love it. It's this amazing community in Kenya. Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to go. And when I started teaching dance and traveling the world, doing that and transforming people's lives, I loved the work that I was doing and it was so fulfilling, but I found there was something missing. And that was Mm -hmm. the international development work that I had done in university that just fed my soul like nothing else. So I decided to contact the organization. I said, can I lead a team to Kenya? Like just on a whim. It was like a vision that I had. And then I just did it. I put it out there and a bunch of people said, yes, I think nine women signed up. I went there thinking like this organization is really cool because it's all about showing up and building relationships and not thinking that we know what the community will need showing up and supporting the community and having conversations and getting to know them and figuring out how we can support, but from their voices. Cause we often as Westerners think we know what everyone else needs, but we don't actually, I showed up there and they had asked for they have a school in the slum so this this organization works with women and kids with HIV AIDS they help the women they nurse them back to health make sure that they're getting on their medication and that they're mentally and emotionally healed and then they teach them how to build businesses and give them microloans but the organization also built a school in the slums because a lot of these women couldn't make money right like it's just a scary situation. Like a lot of the women were even turning to prostitution and different things because that's a very common way for people to make money, especially in extreme poverty. And their kids would be left like as young as two or three years old, they'd be walking around in the slums and it was very dangerous. A lot of them were getting sold into child trafficking, right. And different things and getting kidnapped. And so when Mary is her name, but everyone calls her mom started this organization living positive, she said, well, we need a place for the kids to go while the women are learning and they're healing um, because they can't just be left on the streets. So it started as like a daycare and then it's grown 
for like kids in the slums who can't afford to go to school because like many developing countries, school is a thing you pay for. And if you're going to the government schools, they're not good. You just don't get a good education. And the classes are like, there's like 80 kids in a class. And so they started a, a school in the slums. So they wanted another, they had outgrown the space that they had. So they needed a new room. They wanted to build another room. Went there to build this room on the school. And the first day I was there, um, we were sitting with the women and we were just going around introducing ourselves and they asked what we did. And I said, well, I teach people how to connect to their bodies through movement and dance. And they were all like, will you dance with us? And they Mm -hmm. all asked me and I was like, sure. Like I, it wasn't even on my radar that that would be something that I could contribute. Yeah. Just me showing up, being open, but also being like, we're here to build a school. Isn't that what people do when they travel and do these work? (laughs) Like, I'm going to dance with you. Okay. I didn't even bring a speaker. Like we had to go out and find a speaker, which is very difficult in the slums of Kenya. We started dancing. And of course we had to dance outside because there's no indoor spaces, you know, like, yeah. And everything's outside. And people would start to come from all around because they'd hear music and they'd be like, oh my gosh. And they'd just start to dance because that's what you do in Kenya. When you hear music and you see people dancing, you come and join them. It was really cool because it started to build our community and it started, there's a lot of stigma around HIV AIDS that way back when we first started in 2011, there was still a lot of people that felt like AIDS was COVID, you know, like mm-hmm. it was spread for through being too close to someone through coughing, right? Yeah, um, it's that scary thing that, you know, especially Westerners don't really know a lot, a whole bunch about and they're just like freaking scared. Totally, exactly. And like we knew enough that it it's transmitted through blood. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew it's enough. It's transmitted through, you know, if you have sex or saliva yeah. and it was saliva. It'd have to be like buckets of saliva that you're drinking. So like, we're not doing that, <laughs> obviously. So we just started having conversations with other people around them. That was, that was really, there's a lot of, you know, there were even politicians that were saying everyone with age should go to a different part of the country. Like that was the kind of energy around it. There was a lot of judgment. It was considered the prostitute's disease, even though a lot of these women were given it by their husbands. And Mm. I mean, some of them were prostitutes because that's what you do when you're, or that's one of the things you can do to make money when you're very, very poor. Right. Yeah. Um, And you know, some people when they're not very poor, but anyways, and so we just started educating people and teaching them that like these women are safe. The kids at the school are safe. It's fine. Like, you know, these women are amazing. And it, we just started having conversations. Mm -hmm. And so that just, that grew. And when I came back to Canada, a bunch of my friends who were also in the dance world with me, said, we want to come with you. This sounds amazing. And they were very passionate about teaching the women about nutrition and health because the women were asking us a lot of questions. They'd be like, why are you drinking water all the time? Why do you eat vegetables? You know, just things that they weren't. Mm -hmm. Most of the diet, especially in extreme poverty, there is ugali, which is cornstarch mixed with water. So it has zero nutritional value. It's just a stomach filler. Like it expands in your stomach. So they aren't hungry, but it's not adding any value to their bodies or their life. And when you're have something like AIDS, it's actually really important to get nutrition. And I mean, 
in general, malnutrition is a big issue. Mm -hmm. So we started teaching them about nutrition. And when we went back in 2012, we built a sustainable garden with them. And now it's a farm that feeds the whole community and they sell the extra to make money for the women. Um, The women all have learned how to like grow and sell and all these things. And it's just grown and expanded every single year. And this past year in 2020, we were supposed to go back and build an entirely new entrepreneurship school so we could reach people outside of just the women with HIV AIDS because they're now doing really well and they have a great reputation and they get pretty good funding, although this year that got very shaky because of COVID. But yeah, we were going to build a school. So that's still on the radar. It's just been pushed back until we can go back. That's incredible. Is there something that you learned from the way that they dance and move their body? I mean, Africa has so many different cultures and tribes with very rich dancing cultures. Is there anything that you were able to take away for your own practice? Oh, totally. They are so vibrant and so alive. And, you know, in North America and a lot of not just North America, but even some places in Europe, right? We can be very stiff. Oh, and very, yeah, Europeans like, are very stiff. <laughs> right? And I have a German background. I know you're German. so But we can be very stiff. And we mm-hmm. think we've created this thing in Western society where unless you're on So You Think You Can Dance, you're not actually a good dancer. We kind of created everything into a competition. In Kenya and in a lot of places in the world, dance is used to celebrate, to connect. They do not care what they look like, you know, like they are dancing for fun, for celebration, for connection. They're not dancing to make it look pretty or nice. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they actually look so beautiful and radiant because they're so much more free in their bodies. And this is something that I have taught for years in my programs, because I have seen how when people overthink dance and movement, They get so tense in their body and that's when they start looking awkward. The people who just let go and just let their bodies move are the ones that we get enamored by because we're like, wow, they're so free in their bodies. And that's a big part of dance in, in Kenya for sure. And the other really cool thing is that everyone dances. Like it's not, it's like the old, the young, the men, the women, the You know, it's not just like specific people like we see more in North America, where Mm -hmm. it's like those are the dancers and everyone else kind of stands around drinking their drink (laughs) until they're (laughs) until they're drunk enough to dance. That kid is a dancer because she takes how many dance classes a week or whatever the stories are. That is amazing. What would you say to people when they come to you from a Western world and they're like, you know what, like, I actually kind of like want to dance, but I just feel so judged or so insecure. How do you get people to come back to their body and just move without overthinking and without looking at what other people are are doing? In my programs, I'm constantly reminding people, but I do remind people to connect to their body, to breathe, sometimes to close their eyes, like just It's just that reminder that nobody truly cares what you like, worrying about what everyone else thinks, trying to make other people happy, which will never happen. Or we can live our lives connecting to ourselves and doing what it is that we desire and moving in a way that feels good. Definitely just the encouragement. So my students, they hear that a lot. 
in my classes and in my programs where it's like, nobody cares, just move your body, make it feel so good. And just that encouragement and those reminders are so powerful for people. Mm, That is powerful. Why do you think it is that we as like Westerners overthink these situations all the time and think we're being judged or think we have to perform or look good all the time? I think it starts with the fact that that is kind of the way our society is set up in general. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. if you look at like the way that we have created even like social media and all of these different things, but even before social media, if you look at like the white picket fence, the fifties, like everyone's trying to keep up with the Joneses. (laughs) Like there's a reason why that's a saying is because we've created such a high expectation of what we expect from people. And if they don't meet that mold, they could get rejected. And I feel like it's this primal fear that we have that we don't want to get rejected from the quote unquote tribe. Right. Mm -hmm. And this goes way back to indigenous cultures. The thing is with a lot of indigenous cultures, with a lot of like African cultures and, and any, I've worked a lot in indigenous cultures all over the world not necessarily the case. Like most indigenous cultures are very free with their bodies and very accepting and very so different, but we've just created that to be such a high expectation in our world. You know, it's a re it's the same reason why people go to school and get degrees in things that they think they should do instead of the things that they're passionate about or the reason why people marry people that they think they should versus someone for love, you know, or Mm -hmm. why people get plastic surgery or different things because they want to look a certain way to be accepted. It all comes down to we want to be loved and accepted. And we have a hard time with rejection. That is so true. I remember when I started visiting like indigenous tribes and cultures and they were just like, you know, being free and exposing their body because this is who they are. And nobody cares if someone has like saggy boobs or, you know, a little bit of like belly fat. Nobody cares. They're just themselves and they just free and walk around. In here, it is more this like, I got to look perfect and I got to look pretty. And if I'm not looking good enough, I have to cover myself or fix it or, you know, get plastic surgery, as you said. Totally. It's so sad because this is not who we're actually meant to be. And it's distracting us so much from actually living our life. Absolutely. And actually authentically connecting with people. Feeling like we need to look and act a certain way actually disconnects us from other people because ultimately nobody is perfect and nobody actually looks that way, right? That they do in a filtered picture or whatever. And when we can be more real to people, when we can, we actually connect with people deeper. It's so interesting how we're, there's so many people, I'm not going to say we all, because that's not true. There's so many people trying to get it right, trying to look right and be a certain way so they can be accepted when if they just allow themselves to really connect to themselves connect to their truth and be themselves it will liberate them and it'll it'll attract in those who really love who they are and also are liberated in who they are that is amazing have you found that living in costa rica where literally like the motto is pura vida that people are more free and they're just about loving life? Or do you feel they still started taking on the judgments and thoughts of the American westernized society? 
I mean, that's a really interesting one. We've only been here for a month. So we mm-hmm. came for the winter to get out of lockdowns and all those things. And mm-hmm. to, yeah, Best we decision. Decided, <laughs> yeah, we just decided we were going to come and move here for a bit. Yeah. And it's interesting because the Pura Vida, there is definitely a relaxed vibe, but I don't know, like now that I've done a lot of traveling and I've worked with people in many different classes, right? From Mm -hmm. rich to poor to, I think nobody's fully exempt from this fear of, Mm. and from this desire to want to look and act a certain way and fit in. The lifestyle is very laid back here and the people here are very hard workers. And I've definitely noticed that they work hard. They're very committed. I think that they probably don't care nearly as much as we do in North American society where it feels like you're constantly maybe needing to grow and learn and up level and catch up to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's still a little bit there for sure. That's just so interesting to observe. How have you found that traveling or living in different cultures has impacted you and your growth and your journey the most? Oh, good question. Um, so in my travel, so I've traveled to about 26 or 27 different countries. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really always blows my mind, and the thing that really opened my mind when I first started traveling is that when you grow up in a certain place, an all town of 2000 people where I'm related to everyone. Wow. And my family has been, yeah. My family has been in that community for five generations. So we literally came over from Germany five generations ago, late 1800s. Wow. And everyone's been there. And, and so there's very much a, this is just the way life is because this is, you know, everyone kind of settles down then in that area and including a lot of my cousins and my aunts and uncles. And there's few people that kind of move elsewhere and that's fine. Totally. And I think community is important. And I love that I grew up there and that I had that solid base to always go home to. And perhaps it's what's made me so courageous in traveling. But the thing that always blows my mind when I'm in a different place is like, when you're in your own life at home, there's a part of you that feels like everyone else sort of lives the same way. You like get that there's people in different places that live differently. But when you're in a new place and you're like, wow, you know, in Kenya, when you see their homes and they live in the slums and there's garbage everywhere and the extreme poverty, you're just like, wow, this is what these kids grew up in. Mm -hmm. This is the reality that they know. They don't even know different. They don't even know that they're poor. Yeah. So there's a certain level of like joy that most kids, unless they're pretty abused and traumatized carries. And there's a certain amount of joy that even the women we work with that now that they've started building businesses and they're, they're getting on their feet and even relatively, we'd still consider them poor, but they're, they're in a lot of ways, quite wealthy and happy. And in their months they've made it. And it's just so beautiful to see. And so it's just such a reminder of how lucky we are mm-hmm. and how, how we get to choose how we want to live. Mm, we don't, absolutely. you know, and that was something that when I, I actually struggled a lot with depression and anxiety, especially as a teenager, which is what 
led me to getting a psychology degree and working in this world for my adult life. A big part was I'd look at my small town and I'd be like, is this it? Because I wasn't happy there. I knew that there was something more for me. And when I started to explore the world, I'm like, oh my gosh, like we literally get to choose how we live. We literally get to choose where we, where we live, how we live, how much money we make, what our days look like. It doesn't have to be dictated by society or by other people. That is one of my favorite things. Also, another thing is human connection and that at the core of it, no matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter what your profession is or isn't, like, I really believe that humans are good people and that they want connection and they crave connection. Whenever I've traveled, I've always tried to learn their dance. I've always tried to connect to their music and dance because it's such an expression for people. Mm-hmm. And they really do love it when you at least try. That's such a beautiful realization that happened to me when I went um, to all the Middle Eastern countries and everyone was judging mm-hmm. me. And I'm just like, no, I just want to go see myself before I trust what society and everyone is telling me. And I was so surprised. Even when I when I road trip through Africa, I'm like, wow, this is just, this is not what people tell us it is. People are actually very nice and kind and helpful. And they really want, obviously there are bad people, but there are bad people everywhere. But totally. big majority is just so loving and helpful and kind to other humans. Totally. That just totally absolutely totally. one question that I love asking at the end is what does living life fully mean to you living life fully to me means that I get to do what I want when I want that I'm trying new things that I'm learning and growing and living in different parts of the world and just doing the things every day that lights me up that's really Pura vida, you know, it's doing the things that light up my soul yeah. and feeling as if I am on purpose every day. And I really had felt that way for a good 10 years of my life that I'm on purpose and sure that sometimes that shifts and changes, but I've always built businesses and my lifestyle around my passions and around my purpose. That is and I encourage other people to do the same and teach others yeah. to do the same. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So if people want to know more about you and find out, you know, about all your programs and how they can work with you, where can they find you? So I have a Facebook group called Ignite Your Fire, and it's an intuitive lounge for spiritual entrepreneurs. And it's for women. So you can come and join that. I do live angel card and intuitive readings in there. I run master classes at least once a month. I love that community. And I pour my heart and soul into that community. Um, my website is brookyancey.com. So that's just my name, .com. And that's where you can find all of my programs and my coaching practices as well. And you can find me on social media at brookjillianyancey. So that's my Facebook and my Instagram. Perfect. And Clubhouse, actually. Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. Yay. That's been yeah. amazing. Is there anything you want to add? Anything you want to share with people any advice you want to give people to i think we covered a lot of stuff thank you so much for having me thank you I so really much for being it. here and sharing all of your all of your knowledge your love your thoughts everything with us this has been amazing thank you so much
You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you.